Hello and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 83, Driver San Francisco. In the first driving game covered on this show, we turn to 2011's Driver San Francisco, the sixth game in the franchise. With so much on the line, were Ubisoft Reflections able to turn back the clock and deliver us a good old boy able to hijack its way back into our hearts? Or was it just caught violating its parole? We'll dig in and find out. Joining me, Carl Moon, on this week's Car Chase Spectacular, Darren Frank Bullock Foreman. Always violating his parole. James Charlie Croker Carter. Out early for good behaviour. And Darren Daisy Duke Gaggett. Yeah, hello, hi. Two thousand and eleven brought about the finalization of the five year development for Driver San Francisco from Ubisoft Reflections, clearly a studio desperate for a for a hit game after I think we can all agree what was quite a tumultuous decade in which they released previous driver games and stuntman and <sighs> many titles that have sort of had the company on teetering on the edge of sort of failing. Um I did hear that Drive to 3R was uh, quite good, though. Well, you... Eww. Eww. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like going to YouTube and looking up glitch videos. It's completely fantastic. It's absolutely outstanding for glitch videos. And, <laughs> you know, obviously the last thing they needed was for this to sort of turn into what that sort of fast. So there was uh, clearly a lot on the line. It was a big unveiling for Ubisoft at the 2010 E3 show. And they obviously they unveiled the... Sort of the the main mechanic for the title, the so-called shift mechanic, and uh, yeah. So, what's everyone's history with the Driver franchise and Driver San Francisco? Did you get it on launch? Um, well, my history with the Driver series is long and distinguished. I have played two of them, mm. and the first one, um, I remember playing it in a shop where you could actually like go up to the kiosks and try it out, and I couldn't do the fucking license test. <laughs> Um, so th- that was a great game, you know, mm. it lasted about 10 minutes, I really enjoyed myself And uh, as for Driver San Francisco, I got that through in a rental And I'm not actually much of a driving game fan, you know The more realistic, the less I tend to like these things But this one, obviously it's a very different one with a shift mechanic And it's got a very arcade style of racing And it actually hit a lot of the spots that uh, I tend to enjoy So... I would actually say that this is the kind of racing game for non-racing game fans, hmm. and as such, it kind of struck a chord with me. James? Uh, yeah, I um, never played a driver game before. Um, didn't get this on launch day. This was a rental somewhere down the line uh, for me, after people had been sort of talking about the fact it got a story, and um, it kind of struck me that the, the buzz around the game was a bit like it was for the Mortal Kombat reboot as well, that People were talking about that having, you know, the best fighting game story and this was the best driving game story. Mm. Um, so on that basis, I, I thought I'd um, check it out. Um, 
Yeah, but no previous history with driver games at all? Myself, I was a huge sort of driving game fan uh, growing up through the PlayStation era, and uh, funnily, I wasn't a fan at all of the Destruction Derby games. Obviously, 1 and 2 came out from Ubisoft Reflections, who were highly touted, much loved. And in 99 came the release of the original Driver, which sort of interested me. I was always a fan of you know, the the high-flying sort of San Francisco chase movies, the, the likes of Bullet and obviously the TV shows like Dukes of Hazard. So that really sort of interested me, plus the mix of the American muscle car, which has always been you know a fondness of mine. And I remember at my age... I had my parents were going out for the day and they said, oh, is there anything you'd like us to bring in? And I, I cheekily said, oh, you know, driver. And surprisingly, they actually bought it for me. And I sort of I fell a little bit in love with what it was, you know, trying to do. The the fact that it was non-violent, we'd obviously had games like Carmageddon, which were very popular for running people over. This went the complete opposite way of, you know, everyone got out your way and you were driving around these open cities. And it tried to tell something of a story it you know it it didn't really do a whole lot for me in that regard but ultimately the mechanics of power sliding round corners j turns handbrakes was was just fun so the second one came about <laughs> and i was a bit devastated it just didn't click with me and you know i saw videos of the third one just didn't fancy it and and parallel lines once again just did nothing for me but um driver san francisco got the unveil and they, they showed the shift mechanic and i remember thinking that is the dumbest thing I have ever seen for a racing game. It will not work. It's ridiculous. The studio's going to fail. Um, and I was actually working away in 2011 when it was released. And I, and I came home uh, for a week. And GameStop, the UK site, had opened up and they were doing deals on games. And they'd, they'd offered this for £20 um, as part of their opening deal. So I thought, well, you know, £20, I might as well give it a shot. And. Me being me, I bullied a couple of friends into buying it, so I had someone to play with online. And uh, I went back to work, and I sort of came back another two weeks later, and I, I finally got my hands on it. And I thought, well, you know, I'll give it five minutes, see what it's like. And it just sort of clicked a little bit with me, and I ended up sort of playing it throughout the entire week solid. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, what a change. Uh, Darren, how about you? Yeah, um, I've had a, a long. It's history with uh, the, the series of Driver. Uh, yeah, so I used to work in an independent game shop in Leighton Buzzard, my hometown, well, not my hometown, the town where I live. And uh, Driver was always one of these games that um, it had the buzz off of, off of GTA. So it sort of fed off the buzz that a GTA game would have. So, for example, GTA 1 came out on the PS1. Driver followed shoot. And because it was 3D, as opposed to GTA 1's you know 2D perspective, people were like, oh, this is going to be better than Grand Theft Auto. And then I sold a few copies and people came back with their memory cards and they were like can you do that driving test thing for me? I'm like, yeah, go on then. So to keep the customers happy, I had to, I had to do this this car park driving test over and over and over again just to satisfy you know the customers. And Driver 2 came out and it was, um, from what I remember, a major flop. Um, the, the fact you could get out your car wasn't really enough. Um, I, I don't know why. Maybe the game just was rubbish. I never really got around to playing it. But Driver 3, I've never felt so guilty about selling a game to... To, to punt us before it was um again riding off a tidal wave of gta buzz and um you know it sort of looked the part for the time and i imagine if i went back it looked it would look terrible but even i knew that the game was rubbish but we had so many copies in that i had to pedal them as hard as i could and yeah um i, I had it on free roam in the shop for 
for many, many days. And people enjoyed that bit. But then they found out as soon as you started playing the missions in Driver 3 or Drive 3, um, it was actually an utter pile of garbage. So I I totally blanked out Driver Parallel Lines and didn't even realise that existed until like the other day. And I was like, oh yeah, there was one in between, wasn't there? And San Francisco I picked up in a Steam sale. Because, you know, why not? It's like three or four quid. And um, yeah, I, I wrestled with Uplay and it's amazing DRM. Yeah, I think the you know the Ubisoft the UPlay DRM I think deserves a special mention. Uh, Driver San Francisco was the first game Ubisoft deemed necessary to run the so-called DRM, which was quite interesting because the Xbox 360 version didn't actually have an online code. So for the PC version to sort of be deemed as necessary to have this online restriction, uh, well, it's not supposed to be a restriction, but it clearly was mm. was, was quite interesting. Uh, what problems did you have? Uh, well, I, I like playing my games in single player mode primarily. So, you know, I booted up, um, you play and it's like, welcome to Steam, but not as fun. You're like, oh, okay, great. And, uh, so you launch Steam, you launch you play and then you launch the game. You're like, oh God, how many layers? It's like, it's like the inception of games. And then you boot it up and it kept freezing every five, ten, like seconds. It's like freeze and then it paused for a second. You're like, well, why is that? Is my, my computer's, you know, good enough. I can run Battlefield 3 on a high setting. La da 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 da. And I did a bit of in, um, you know, investigation, as you do, and you, you go to the forums where people are going mental. And at the exact same time that I was having these problems of freezing, people were deducing slowly and surely that, um, the, the DRM was, uh, was lagging. It was freezing the games, uh, you know, through the internet. And, um, people worked out that if you did a certain, you know, any file change, you could actually nullify the, the constant connection to Uplay. And, uh, the, and the, the game ran fine. As soon as I went back, I reverted it back to the original settings in this any file. It was the lag, the, the 10 seconds every, just a, just a little tiny frame, but every, you noticed it, like, it would freeze and you're like, oh shit, why is that happening? And then, you know, it just totally ruined the game and, uh, just, yeah, frustrated me no end. So I'm glad that there's nerds out there on the internet who can solve these problems for me because I'd have been stuck. I'd have been lost of, uh, four pounds. I'd have been gutted. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I know when the game was actually released, uh, new, it was bundled with a lot of codes that didn't actually work, which restricted, you know, legitimate PC purchases of the multiplayer mode completely, which is even worse. Um, so I think what we can clearly deduce from this is that everybody loves DRM uh, and that it works flawlessly and, the, the, you know, nothing can ever go wrong. Yeah, um, I mean, the thing that I'm picking up here is that this was on a Steam sale, so the game must have been out for a while and just not patched. Or unpatchable in that case, hmm. for their own uh, for the, what they wanted out of it. You know, it actually developed or you know altered for the PC by Ubisoft Ukraine, which I didn't realise until I was actually preparing for this podcast. Uh, it's actually an Ubisoft studio I'd never heard of. Um, I don't know whether that you know is a slight on their ability as a studio, but it's you know certainly not a strong point or a, certainly a strong starting point for you know the UPlay online service that they're trying to peddle to the users. I think the the thing about this is that it's a bit like um, World of Warcraft with MMOs. Other MMOs come out and they're not as polished. They don't have as you know they're not as fully featured, not as big as as WoW, and therefore they're kind of maligned for it. And it's kind of the same with this. When Steam came out, it wasn't great, but now it works so. I mean, generally flawlessly, that whenever you know Origin came out or Uplay came out, companies just can't get away with working out the wrinkles as they go mm. and having games like this. And I'm sure some people bought this on PC, you know, day of release for probably thirty quid through Steam or whatever. 
It's just not acceptable to be in the position where literally... I mean, we're talking modding an any file. That's the staple of anyone who mods a PC game is to go in there and fiddle with mm. settings. First of all, you shouldn't be able to fiddle with DRM like that because it just negates the entire reason of having the DRM in the first place. But second of all, it's just it's really lazy that they've they've not worked those sorts of kinks out. They can't have not realised that was the case. It's, well, it's, I mean... In the time frame that it would take from being a full price game to a four quid game, they should really have been able to kill that, kill that problem. Yeah, even mm. if it's just they patch the any file and remove that, you know, uh, setting. Um, th- yeah, I think yeah. the actual problem was that everyone, but not everyone, but a lot of people have bought it in the Steam sale for you know three or four pounds, and uh, yeah. the you know the, the servers weren't ready for at least ten people to be playing it at the same time. And it, <laughs> the fact that it's single player lag, it just didn't, it just, it just annoys yeah. me just th- saying those words together. Like, those things should never exist. Like, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't constantly be needing to get a, you know, a, a reference from the servers just so I can play the single player mode. It's, it's pretty obscene. Looking forward to that Xbox One, eh? Sounding promising. <laughs> I mean, the sort of the real strange thing is that the PC version obviously suffered such hits on the frame rate in single player and Martin Edmondson the creative director at Reflections uh, was sort of very vocal in pushing the the quality of the engine which was developed specifically for this game and and how they were able to sort of you know tweak it and twist it to their needs and that it was actually going to be running at 60 frames a second on the consoles which is obviously is quite rare um you know it's mm. it's it's happened before uh sadly not as much as it probably should and mm. It was certainly one of the you know real positive points that you saw across reviews and comments was just how smooth the frame rate actually was on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 releases. So it seems such a shame that you know the, the PC users who have these fantastic machines uh, essentially being sort of stunted by <laughs> a text file is quite you know staggering really and 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 really quite lazy on behalf of the developer. Thankfully, the internet does exist, and you know the likes of Darren were were able to get this this fixed and and move on. Um, the game itself was obviously quite unusual in that it actually featured a storyline for a driving game, but I think it even more so it features quite a bizarre storyline for you know any video game, uh, with the in the protagonist John Tanner hit in a in a car accident uh, and put into a coma where he realizes that he is able to shift from vehicle to vehicle at will um take over that vehicle and drive you know as needs may be through mm. you know through the campaign through any submissions for whatever reason i mean did did that sort of appeal to any of you before the release it certainly kind of uh, tweaked my interest um the thing is, I mean, this game actually has a really cool intro, you know. If you haven't seen this game, haven't played it, and you're not in time picking it up, I would at least check out that intro, because it's really well done. And, uh, yeah, just... One of the things about driving games, for me, is that, as I've said, the more realistic it is, the more you've got to worry about customising your car and hmm. braking for a corner and all that pish, the less interested I'll be in it. So the, the very idea of being able to shift into someone else's car and then ram some bastard head on just for shits and giggles... Hmm. That's the kind of thing that just lights my fire, you know? And it's not because I'm completely crazy. It's just that video games are escapism. And while you can make realistic games fun, or even realistic games that are absorbing, for me, a racing game has to be about just that pure adrenaline rush of going completely mental. 
And just the fact that they were kind of targeting this kind of aspect and that the story would be kind of like a mix between, like, uh, what was it? Was it Quantum Leap? Mm, yeah. Which I've never yeah. seen, but uh, that's <laughs> what I helped to kind of um, compare to. I, like, I cross between Quantum Shift and just going completely crazy with Starskin Hutch, 80s style uh, cop vibe. Mm. That, that really did appeal to me. So even though I never picked it up on release, I was looking forward to getting the rental through my door. Yeah, absolutely. Same for me. I'm not the biggest fan necessarily of driving games, but like you, Darren, if I'm going to play a driving game, I want it to be one that's um, more fun than simulation. Um, uh, so arcade-type racers are kind of um, where I, I flock to. Mm. Uh, and the fact that this had a story just made it stand out that little bit more. Um, I want to say it was it was announced and coming out around the same time as Need for Speed The Run, which just looked like a horrible way to do... <laughs> A story in a driving <laughs> game. game. Um, no interest in, in playing it. Whereas this was a story, but it didn't intrude necessarily on the the driving. It facilitated an ability in the game that made the driving a little bit different, and um, and was very much okay. It's a story that's kind of resigned to cutscenes more than anything, but mm. it meant that it wasn't an obtrusive story. You could enjoy it for what it was, uh, which was pretty silly, uh, pretty bombastic, and over the top. Um, but it, it afforded the game a bit of a sense of style in terms of uh, aesthetic and in terms of the music as well. I, I thought was was really good. Um, but yeah, it just it, it just gave a direction to this game that piqued my interest certainly. Yeah, I'd heard about it on other podcasts, like the, the the final mission being like one of the craziest things you'd seen in a driving game ever. And I hadn't really heard of the shifting before, and I don't know if that's because I just blocked it out. I was like, oh, it's a driver game, I'll just, I'll just ignore it, because, um, you know, previous efforts have been lacklustre. But then I um, picked up in a Steam sale, and I was like, this is, this is amazing, like, I can, I can avoid the rubbish bit where you get out of the car and run to the next car and have a like you know in GTA it's fine like it, that does it well but in other driver uh, other driver games like driver 2 for example it was just naff and driver 3 as well it just wasn't yeah it wasn't all that uh, so the ability to shift into another car like the scene from the matrix 2 you know on the motorway that's just like yeah yeah I'll de- definitely I'm well up for that and uh yeah the the shifting mechanic is is entirely why I kept playing it through to the end yeah, and I mean, the, the other thing that I, I think I neglected to mention is that the game doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest, you know? Like, one of the very first missions is there's a TV crew just, like, stuck in the middle of the road, road trying to, uh, like, uh, pick up people's speeding and traffic accidents and shit. And one of the main missions, like, this isn't a side mission, is for you to take control of a truck and then smash it into an oncoming 90-year-old woman's vehicle. <laughs> You know, I mean, it doesn't, like, specify that it's a 90-year-old woman, but that's the kind of mental attitude that I was kind of projecting into the mm. game, you know? Yeah, and, and all for the sake of this reality TV crew who want a, um, exactly, yeah. a make-or-break shot for their, their... I can't remember what the TV show's called, but basically crash-time TV type mm. stuff, yeah, yeah. And I think Ubisoft Reflections, we know that they were a, a troubled studio. I, I actually had a friend... Uh, who I knew through college and university got a job up in Newcastle with it being a, a reasonably local studio to myself. And, you know, I'd meet him every week playing football and I'd ask, you know, how are things going? And obviously I was aware that they were working on this project uh, before it was announced. And, you know, he would say to me, he said, I'm genuinely worried I might not have a job next week. Um, and that was sort of the condition. And, and it was bailout payments. And obviously there was a huge show of faith uh, from Ubisoft themselves in the, you know the, the the quality of the game and what was going to be delivered, mm. um, and I, and I think under those circumstances it might have been easier to sort of take you know a, a more simple 
formulaic route and hope for the best. But I, I think in in this game they sort of they went for the crazy and they, they jumped in with two feet and just went with it. You know, with the the bizarre sort of side quests that, that Darren mentioned there. You know, the driving into other cars, the the sort of the the music is obviously an eclectic mix, and it's something that I'll mention myself, and I'm sure we all will later on that. You know the the quality of the soundtrack and where they were heading. You know the, the visual style, the, the over the top handling, um, and of course the story. Uh, obviously, Shift itself um, isn't a unique feature to a game. In fact, it wasn't even unique to a game in in two thousand and eleven. We we had Mind Jack earlier in the year, which used the same sort of implementation of it but it would be with people um which we've seen you know in in other first person games syndicate games have done it years past and and it but this was the first time it had been implemented into you know a racing game and they sort of build it as the you know opportunities are endless and obviously that's not strictly true you really only use it for a few different reasons but the the option to sort of you know shift into a car and, and throw it into oncoming traffic to take out your rivals or or pull into a tanker and put it across the middle of the road which obviously you know is up ahead so you you get around it in the opposite lane is mm. is is obviously a novel feature to a racing game and for something that's so niche really in in the driving market to sort of base your game around that is is clearly a bold choice, but Ubisoft have come out and they've said it's sold beyond expectations, and it's it's a game that has pretty much saved that uh, Ubisoft Reflections as a studio now, and and they they've always been sort of a participant studio. They've they've aided as Ubisoft do with a lot of their games, mm-hmm. um, but they've gone from a studio that was you know on the edge of bankruptcy to you know be, being one of the teams working on probably Ubisoft's most anticipated game in Watch Dogs. So. Good to show you the impact that one major hit can can have, and uh, you know I, I think they certainly need congratulating on that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean on top of that, it's also you're saying that it would have been maybe a good idea. For, well, not a good idea, but it would have been the the smart managerial choice to go for a safer kind of driving game, and that's kind of bullshit to me. You know, just like I'm not saying that uh, every game has to be one hundred percent unique and they can't can like copy other aspects, but. A lot of companies would attempt to kind of like cut their losses and make something that is easily digestible by the mainstream. I think a lot of companies should really be pushing for something that sets themselves apart instead of just being an also-run. And I'm glad that uh, Ubisoft Reflections had the balls to keep going in the direction that they were going. Yeah, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's um, you know, it's it's that game can be sort of remembered as that game where you could do that thing where you could shift car to car and mm. it won't just be remembered as oh that game with sort of the naff out of the car moments or you know the 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 car pack the infamously difficult car pack test <laughs> um so in, in that regards obviously a, a bold move paid off uh, sadly it doesn't always with games but i think fuse is a very good example of a game where there's next to no interest in a game that interested nearly everybody when it was unveiled i think two years ago hmm. uh what was interesting from ubisoft was that they actually released driver san francisco the same day that they released a 3ds version of the driver game which is a, a bit odd in financial terms because whilst obviously they are different formats 
they do essentially compete for you know the money in a user's wallet. Yeah, I'm if I'm going out to buy a game on a weekend, I'm only likely to go and spend forty pound on one game. I'm not going to go and buy two. So. I think the situation there is a bit like when you hear about a big movie coming out with a certain uh, actor in it and it happens that there's a much smaller movie they've also starred in coming out the same week or the week after. It's about piggybacking on the advertising for one with with the other. Um, and so if you can advertise driver game in shops now, it doesn't matter what system you've got. You walk into a shop and you can pick up a driver game. Um, so they probably wouldn't see it as cannibalizing their own audience mm. Uh, especially at the time, given how small the 3DS audience was, that was just a case of, and here's a 3DS game for anyone who doesn't want the or have access to uh, the PC 360 or PS3 version. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. Um, there's there's several business reasons for it that I can imagine, but I, I agree with you. It seems a bit daft that uh, a 3DS one is has the potential to be swallowed up under the other and just completely forgotten. Yeah, I kind of see it as like a, the, you know, those big movie franchise games that come out, sort of like a Toy Story game would come out on every single platform under the sun. I don't really see it as a competition to itself, more as an addition. And while they are different games, you know, they are completely different games, um, it wouldn't be the first time they've released a game on the same day that's completely different under the hood. Um, yeah, I, I think the review scores... That happens with on, iOS games and that sort of thing, doesn't it, as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was the 3DS version like the same storyline, or was it a completely different... Uh, it was a completely different game. Uh, it was called Driver Renegade 3DS. See, I mean, to me, this is more like when you get a, a, like a mockbuster, or whatever they're called. Like, uh, you get put out snakes on a plane, and then suddenly you've got a fucking DVD in the shop called Snakes, snakes on, on a Boat, or Train, or, yeah. Yeah, or Hot Air and Balloon, it, or whatever it is. It's bizarre, and obviously you, you mentioned you mentioned that there's going to be an iOS version and how it, how it's common that iOS versions do get released, but mm. obviously you've got to look at the pricing difference. There's a, there's a, a big gulf between two ninety nine yeah, yeah, sure. and, and yeah. £35. But I think what was even more bizarre is that Ubisoft went one further and they released another version of Driver San Francisco <laughs> on the Wii, which was a completely different game. It was called the same thing, and it was sort of all put under one blanket, blanket advertising campaign, but it featured a completely different story, a completely different gameplay mechanic. It didn't have shift at all. Um, did any of you play the Wii version? No. No. <laughs> no, I've, se- I've seen a few YouTube videos on it today, and it looks just like an average version of Driver San Francisco. It's a, pre- it's a prequel to the first Driver game, I do believe, so it's set way back when, and so the shifting mechanic isn't, you know, in effect because he's not in a coma. But yeah, uh, it just looks like they've taken sort of the, the same engine, which, to be honest, I don't think Driver San Francisco looks great anyway, so you can sort of port it to the Wii, you know, as a knock on the Wii already, but yeah. Um, <laughs> it sort of looks like it, you know, the San Francisco game, but but worse, and... I think I think it's just an easy port jo- a port over job. Remove the shifting mechanic because that you know it's not necessary for this game. And they actually replaced some... it with a sort of a sidecar shooting sort. Of, you know, mm. you would you would put your gun out the window and and shoot. So dr- drive by shooting type stuff, yeah. Yeah, which is obviously again completely different from completely anything that's offered of, yeah. in the Driver San Francisco we've all played. Mm. So in a very short period of time, we had what was essentially three different driver games on a franchise that was already struggling to find its feet. Um, I mean, that just supports the notion that, 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 that Ubisoft wanted a driver game on the same day on as many different platforms as mm. possible. It didn't yeah. matter what the game was, frankly, as long as you could walk in for whatever system you have and buy a driver game, that's all that mattered. Which and is I- a shame, because it dilutes Driver San Francisco as as um, 
being this product that that you should go for and look for particularly because you may walk out with the Wii version and hate yourself. Or hate someone like Darren Gaggett for selling it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great it's game. It's really good. It's, yeah, it's really good, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm wondering if the um, the, the ports, or not the ports, the actual new games on the 3DS and Wii, I imagine they were a lower budget game uh, farmed out to you know other developers around the world. I can't imagine Ubisoft Reflections making all of these games under one roof. Am I, am I right in saying that? No, but then Ubisoft have got enough studios that it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Mm. I'm, I'm talking about things I could easily find out, but you could quite imagine that it was just a different Ubisoft studio but yeah you're right Darren often it's farmed out to um, there are studios out there that specialise in porting games aren't aren't there so yeah yeah and even if it was just like you know that that they needed to get these games out onto the system just just for brand awareness and stuff like that it's um yeah even though they're they're average games at best it's uh you know, the, the, they do, like, Ubisoft love a launch, don't they? And, or, or a near launch as well. They love to just push games out on every single system. And it's, it's not surprising yeah. that they, they put some shovelware on a, on a different machine. But, you know, gutted if you bought one of those other ones, eh? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll be listening to this podcast thinking that isn't the experience I had. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think one thing that you can always credit the driver games with is that it, you know, it obviously wears its influences on its sleeve. We know that. You know, movies like Bullet, which is obviously the epitome of the the cool car chase movie from the seventies, uh, is is the main influence to these games. But obviously, there's been many, many others, uh, such as the Italian Job, Dukes of Hazard, and so forth. Do you think it's fair that it's always sort of compared to to these things? Do you think it holds its own, and do you think it's it's worthy of sort of being played as an alternate to to say? other non-so-serious racing games that we've had. Uh, you know, it's a game that perhaps throws the ability to do J-turns are as important as, you know, say, being as, as, as fast around a circuit or chasing the criminals. Do you think that just makes the game more fun? What's a J-turn? <laughs> where, where you reverse swing it around. Yeah? Yeah, a J-turn's, like, the cool sort of whack it in reverse, sort of spin it round 180 and then accelerate away. You, you perform a J. I don't know. I think the, the Driver franchise isn't... I think it obviously, it apes a lot from other things, you know, like the, the muscle cars swinging around and stuff. And I, I think uh, it's not as good as anything else that has a similar vibe. Like, you know, say the Dukes of Hazard is out there and that's got its own style and noises and stuff like that. I, I don't think Driver's up there with... I don't know, it evokes a lot from those things, but I don't think if you put it in front of someone new, they'll go, all right, you know, that's a really cool thing. You know, it's always related back to what it's trying to be. And uh, I don't think it would, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I don't think it would stand on its own two legs without these other things. And uh, Yeah, it's it's about identity, isn't it? Yeah. If you're you're trying to to give the impression and and sort of um, crib from lots of other different uh, cultural uh, pop pop culture touchstones then it's about how you create your own identity um i think i think well speaking about driver san francisco which is obviously the only one i've played i think it does a, a pretty decent job obviously we've said it's it's kind of cribbing from from quantum leap and and it's got elements of dukes of hazard or starskin mm-hmm. hutch or that, that kind of thing in it um but that's not something we necessarily see in games a lot. So although it's it's related to those things on on the small or big screen, it it still has its its own place as a as a video game because there aren't many video games necessarily doing that, and certainly not with a story to go with a driving game. That that gives it enough of a unique feel that I think it has got 
it has got its own identity, this game, certainly, whether the series has or not, you guys will be able to speak to that better than me. It's mainly the car though that has the identity. That that you know that yellow orangey car yeah, with yeah. The, the lines. But even that reminds me of Dukes of Hazard car. Do you know what I mean? And oh, very much. Yeah. The, yeah. the thing for me is, I mean, the game as a whole, it did everything that it set out to do really well, which was like being this kind of like tribute to all these other forms of media. Mm. And the game kind of felt to me almost like a party, regardless mm. of being a really well done one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, very much. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of humour around those things as well. Yeah, and around yeah. the time it's set in and the. And the the programs that it's trying to kind of yeah, it's a parody rather than a homage, almost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like um, an episode of um, oh, the, well, I know it's the scary door because I've seen Futurama a lot. But what's the um, the, uh, the Twilight, Twilight Zone? Gen. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like if if like Quantum Leap and Dukes of Hazzard and all these things just had, had, you know had just mashed into each other and just made Driver for San Francisco. Um, it even acts like a TV program when you do the next chapter it goes previously on Driver and it sort of does the cuts between the important bits of the story and uh, yeah, yeah it's so <laughs> you know it, it is trying to be a TV show but that you can play and you know that's not a bad thing I think it works really well for the, for the actual game and if they did another one which you know I, I don't think they're going to do another Driver game anytime soon but if they did another one I'd like to see them do another story game like this where it seamlessly cuts from game graphics to cutscene back to game graphics and you know, have the uh, the you know the the buddy side by side in a car. You know, the buddy cop sort of vibe to it because um, those two characters are it, the voice acting's pretty cheesy, but the, what they say is actually quite funny and um, you know yeah, quite well, engaging. I mean, like I remember jumping into another car, and I just kind of like d- dove in like halfway through a conversation, you know, mm. and like there's this uh, hospital director saying, "Okay, basically we're going to need to start reusing all the latex gloves." I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. just like it's just like little humorous nibbits like that. Absolutely, I mean, it's not, yeah. they're not showstoppers on their own, but like as part of an overall vibe, you know, they're really effective and just creating this really fun atmosphere. Hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. on one yeah. hand, it sort of it has the ability to make you smile as you play uh, from the the story perspective uh, and you know the comedy element, where at the same time it, it combines sort of a pure a, a pure effect racing. Uh, feeling that the the kind that you get when you play something like, uh, say, Burnout Paradise, where you're weaving in between traffic, the, mm. the kind of game that puts a quiver in your liver, and you've got these moments where the, the sort of cross over, and perhaps you know you've got the story where you're driving an ambulance, and it does the driving doesn't really feel so special anymore, or you've got other bits where you're suddenly driving a supercar, which of course is the first time in. In any of the driver games, they've had an official license with over 140 licensed cars, all the way up to, you know, the latest McLarens, and it sort of goes too far the other way. And there's maybe more serious driving and not enough humour. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people complained that maybe they would rather have just stayed in the you know the iconic Dodge Challenger uh, mm-hmm. and and had the game more focused down that line. That I am always this one guy. Um, and I, and I want a story, and I think it was sort of caught somewhere where it's it couldn't win. Yeah, I mean the thing is that's that is like an interesting kind of thought, you know, like it's an interesting prospect if you were just in that car all the time. But what we got, you know, I, I actually quite enjoyed jumping between these different cars for mm. different missions, and it never outstayed its welcome. I mean, occasionally you might get the same storyline like repeating throughout the chapters. And you might not be quite so keen on that one. Like, if you were, weren't too keen on the races, you still had to do, like, three or four races. But they were broken up quite nicely, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought that the variety in the vehicles that you were driving did kind of 
just break it up and make it a little less um, as though you're doing the same thing all the time, you know? Yeah. And yeah. of course, none of the handling is realistic. It doesn't go for the realistic handling model. It goes for the Hollywood handling model. So, mm-hmm. but but there's enough differences between the cars that you know, you feel the difference between what are hypercars and supercars and muscle cars and and classic cars. And I think the only one I understand that is cars. <laughs> but there's lots so you, of different types. Yeah, so you feel the difference between something like a Pagani Zonda, which you know it corners and it's it's got tight handling, and then mm. you've obviously got the, the Dodge Challenger where you know you you throw in heavy uh, rear end turns, round corners, and you've got that sort of the toe clenching, pad gripping sort of effect of you know sort of power sliding round a corner and trying to weave it between two other cars as you're in a car chase and. They're the sort of moments that made these iconic movies so cool. Um, I've got to say that in Driver, the civilians are so amazingly spry. Yeah. It's fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, that, that is a city that works out. And, <laughs> of course, it, it it does keep that tradition that, you you know, you can't hit the civilians, which hmm. I think is, is probably a, a positive for me because there are so many games where you can and it doesn't want to sort of... Whilst it does ape these... these TV shows, these movies, it doesn't want to see itself as say, Grand Theft Auto hmm. or, or Saints yeah. Row where, where you're driving in. And and it, it's maybe easier to ride on the shoulders and compare yourself to these games um, as, hmm. as a marketing tool. Um, but but they didn't. They, they sort of they went their own method. They said that, you know, this is driver, this is what, you know, th- these are the traditions of the series. We're going to keep those, but we're going to add these extra features. Yeah, I think for me, there's there's two things there. I, I I absolutely understand why they made it so that uh, just for anyone who's listening who hasn't played the game, um, every pedestrian in the game, the the, the uh, pavements are fairly well populated. Lots of pedestrians around. They all have this sixth sense. They all have spider sense where <laughs> you get to within about ten feet of them, and they just they shift. Frankly, about three feet to the left, they just jump out the way. Some of them just sort of seem to slide out the way. Um, but you, that you can't open your driver door, you know, just <laughs> just catch them. them. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I think it was absolutely intentional. The problem for me is it felt a little bit like um, the murder of crows level in Hitman Blood Money, where they had this tech that they could use to to put all these people on a street but the only way that you could actually get through them is just to kind of have them bump out the way and it felt a little yeah. bit like that i mean they kind of get around it in the fiction a little bit because you're in you find out that you're in a coma and therefore mm. that's that's just the way your your dream if you like your lucid dream is presenting itself um but it does seem a little bit unrealistic yeah that, and that was the, that was the case of all the driver games like they they did literally mm. Just like the, not literally, they, they they morphed across the the landscape. You know, they they were pulled. It's like someone got a, like an umbrella around their neck and yacked them out of the way. They just yanked in time. them, yeah, yeah, off the side of the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it looked pretty ridiculous, but after a while, you sort of you sort of learn to like just enjoy it and embrace it a little bit. Like in yeah. Dial Trilogy on the PlayStation One, you you, you were you had the same thing where they were running out of the way, but you could hit them, and it was a bit you know the the blood on the windscreen was quite a shock. But if that happened in this, your windscreen would just be covered in blood all the time because there's like on the PC version at least, you know, where the um, you know, the I imagine the engines running better on the PC. There's just people everywhere, and uh, mm. when you see, it's like part in the Red Sea of humans. It's ridiculous. Like they just <laughs> they just split, and there's no like animation. They're, they're, you know, there probably yeah. is, but from the from the human it, it eye, feels they just, like they just yeah, they just flop out the way. 
Mm. And it's yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And yeah. after a while, you do learn to just sort of just laugh at it. And to, to a certain extent, I think that kind of fits in with the sort of humorous parody vibe that we've said. Mm. And um, we touched on a bit earlier. Uh, I think you'd said, Darren, that the voice acting wasn't great, mm. and the lines are are funny, and and the individual lines are delivered okay. The thing that got me was when you've got two people in a car. You're obviously driving along in the car. It sounds like they're in two different cars on two different sides of the city clearly the lines were recorded not just on different days in but it sounds like in different rooms with different equipment it doesn't sound like they're in the same place but it kind of get it kind of if i'm being generous gets away with it because it it all feels a bit sort of parody of 70s cop tv shows you know it feels and that's the way it would have seemed um not at the time but now with a sort of postmodern look back at those shows, they seem kind of ridiculous and Scarsky and Hutch seems more like a comedy than it does an actual tense action show. It just because that's how it seems, you know. It's very much why the recent film Starsky and Hutch was a comedy. Mm. Whereas I I don't get the impression the T V show was originally supposed to be as much, maybe, but it's now viewed in that way. And that's exactly what this was, so it gets away with a bit of the the sort of surrealism and, and maybe the voice acting not being up to scratch and, yeah. and an enemy who's called Charles Jericho, which just <laughs> <laughs> as soon as they announce that name it's like it, it just it's it, you know, like in South Park where you just you have the two hats to decide the um, what mm. the topic of the show is gonna be. <laughs> Sounds a yeah. bit like that. They pulled out Charles and Jericho and just went with it. It's definitely a get out of jail free card, this uh, this coma yeah. story, because it's just like, oh, it, it's pretty goofy and stupid, but, you know, he's in a coma, so it's fine. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is probably as good a place as any to sort of discuss how the story progresses and gets you through the game. Um, obviously, we mentioned that, that Jericho smashes an, an 18-wheeler uh, into Tanner's car at the start of the game in, in a sequence which quite clearly mimics that of of the classic duel um, chase and it puts you into a coma uh, you then shift for the first time and you realise mm. you're the ambulance driver um, mm. and you're having a discussion with your partner and you realise that the, 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 the patient in the back is in fact yourself you get to the hospital and then it ends like the TV show uh, and it continues you know, previously seen on sort of footage that we've seen in, in games like Alan Wake and and Resident Evil Revelations, think, yeah, and it's something that I actually quite like in a game because it mm. allows you to sort of come back to it after a period of time. Yeah, and then when you start a section, you have to complete so many tasks before you can complete a Tanner mission. Mm-hmm. And those sort of submissions city can missions include, are good, aren't they? Yeah, and there's city missions and stunts, and each one of those earns you willpower, and when you earn a certain amount of willpower, which is also the in-game currency, as well as sort of the levelling system, allows you to buy the cars and garages, uh, and you do these in in certain events, which are familiar to people who have played driving games. It you know it doesn't reinvent the wheel in this case. You've got you know the standard police missions where you take over a police car and and you've got to ram the criminals off the road, which is something mm-hmm. we've seen in something like Need for Speed Hot Pursuit uh, from the the police side of the game, or you've got uh, Smash Racing where you've got a certain amount of signs in the middle of the road that you've got to follow as a path it's all like, sort of like a driving line but it's it's not too dissimilar to the gate challenges in in like the project gotham games mm. where you've got to maintain yeah. a certain speed and hit the end you've got other ones with arches which again same thing it's sort of the checkpoint uh to checkpoint before the time runs out yeah. but one of the new 
things that the shift mechanic brings about. One of the new modes that certainly I've never seen before, and I don't think any of us have because of the you know the actual shift mechanic, is the team racing where mm. you actually control two cars in a race, <laughs> um, and it's usually uh, I believe it's father and daughter, um, or you know sort of family members, and they've got they've got to get through a race, and they have to finish first and second, so you'll take over one car and you'll sort of get into the distance and then you'll quickly sort of swap back into the mm-hmm. the second car and try and take over the the AI and, and and you've got to sort of keep this balance all the way to the end and then obviously cross the finish line in a 1-2 formation, which I think is certainly a novel way to use it and it's a way to sort of change up the shift mechanic without it becoming dull or pointless and it's also a way to sort of shake off the, the standard affair that, that people who don't particularly like driving games that can sort of get fed up of you know circuit to circuit or, or mode to mode which it never really changes up so in that in that regard it sort of keeps a fresh appeal to the game i mean uh, do any of you agree that the, you know these modes hmm. are, are quite a nice change of pace to the game and yeah. uh, which ones are your favorites and it's not it's not only the the the, the actual the city missions uh, being fun to play. It's also the variety they, they set them up in. Like, so you'll jump into this city mission, you know, the, the board smashing. And it's not like it's just a bland sort of front end, like, oh, smash all the signs in 10 minutes. You actually bump into, well, you actually morph into a person's body and they've got like a little story going on. So they give a bit mm. of context as to why these signs need smashing down. And it might be ridiculous and it might sound pointless, but it's better than just like a, you know, be- better than no flavor at all. And there's very, there's very rarely, um, times where you bump into the same characters and when you do I find that really good as well like I find that really refreshing like oh it's the same two two kids the in, two in racers. college yeah, yeah like yeah. so in the first no, race they put yeah. they put all their money on the line to win this race and uh, you know if they win they, they get more money and go to college but then when you race for the second time in the city missions you find that you're actually you know he, he's put more money on to the race and uh, it, it, it's better than just clicking on a menu button and going race number two. You know and, what I mean? And they they pretty much always put you in a car where you've taken over the driver, obviously, mm. um, but there's a passenger in there, so you get that dialogue going on. And obviously, y- you are Tanner in in that car, but he's trying to pass himself off as whoever the the yeah. driver is. And so yeah, it definitely adds some humour. And the two uh, college race kids, yeah, it's great fun because you realise the whole story is that the the passenger is getting more and more into the gambling and the winning hmm. and wants to do it again and again, whereas the guy you're playing as the driver kind of really doesn't want to do it. And so Tanner starts trying to convince the passenger that he really shouldn't be doing this um, <laughs> yeah. all the way through it. So, yeah, I, that was my pick of the of the events. Um, I think the event the events themselves, I thought, were, were varied and pretty decent, but I think the, the core for me here is that... Um, until you realise how flexible the the shift mechanic is, and it depends on the event as to how much you can use that. Um, for the most part, the, the main uh, missions and the the city missions, they kind of rely on the shift mechanic in order mm. to make them as interesting as they are. A lot of the time, I think, were it just a driving game, I don't think a lot of these would be nearly as fun as they were um, with shift brought into it and that's really the the ace that this game has in 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 the hole as it were i call them the single player co-op missions because that's basically mm. what they are you, you you race two cars on the, on the track like you described car and i think that's such a it's such a great way of keeping the flow of the game throughout the race because if that was other games you know i'm, I'm hype you know i'm hyperbolizing here but if it was other games and you know i crashed into a wall 
And I'd be like, oh, that's so boring. Like, just to crash into a wall and just, like, you know, come to a dead end and have to restart the mission. What you do in this, you press the RB button and you rapid shift to the other car. And you just let the other car that's crashed into the wall just be dealt with by the AI, like, by the computer. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it never lets you, you know, it never lets you down in any way. Like, oh, I've crashed into a wall. I'll just shift to the other car and it'll be fine. Uh, I think that's a better way of doing it. And not all racing games can do this because it'd be a bit stupid if another car was following me all times in, say, Dirt 3. But, it's a better, I prefer that than the rewind mechanic in racing games nowadays. Like, you know, hmm. like the, the fact that I've crashed into a wall now, I can just bump into another car and just carry on the race. And that car that you've, you know, you've smashed into the wall will then catch up with you. And, uh, yeah, I just think that's such a, it's such a great, great idea. 99% of the time it would work fine, but there was the occasional time when you would need to get one particular card, uh, to a certain point in the, in the race. And I would shift out to do something else. Mm. And then when I came back to my original car, the one that I needed to get where it's going, it would be dry humping a wall or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or it's gone the wrong way down an alley. Yeah. That could be a pain in the ass. Yeah, I think I think overall it, it's not perfect, but it, it certainly nah, works. Close, I think, but, I yeah. think one thing that the shift mechanic does act is it's probably the best counter to the rubber band effect that you get in so many driving games. That mm, yeah. you know, if if you're in the lead, they rubber band, but if they're ahead, you know, you don't really catch up. You've got the best counter to that is that you just throw another car into them and then you catch up, um, and and that's always amusing. I don't think there was one time I ever didn't sort of smile or laugh taking a head-on car and smashing into an, an AI opponent and sort of it was sort of justice for all the games and all those times that the AI has ever done it to me. Mm. Um, so so that was nice. The story continues with Tanner in his hospital bed and he gets information through the news that's on on the TV in his hotel room and obviously I think is it Jones sits with him a lot mm. in the in the yeah. hotel room so he's obviously catch, keeping up on tabs with the news and he's telling you stories as well and through the game you shift into a character called Ordell he's a low time crook and he's looking to rise through the ranks of Jericho's organisation you realise he's a perfect pawn for you to use to take over and sort of find out what the plans are. It, you soon realise that there's a gas bomb, a, a sort of a, a chemical attack, is going to happen on the city. Uh, Jericho's behind it, and and the city starts evacuating. Through sort of the, the breakdown and, and the story advances that you make throughout your character, you realise that it's not an actual chemical attack because. That's not Jericho's style. Jericho's a thief and a crook. He's not. He's not a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, at the start of the game, you're made aware that a prisoner is uh, makes a deal with Jericho for Jericho to break him out for thirty million dollars. Yeah. The 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 obviously the chemical bomb is then the smoke screen, quite literally a smoke screen, yeah. um, to break him out of prison. Uh, and the the story sort of progresses throughout the the ranks and. As Ordell sort of discovers what's going on, that that's how Tanner gets the information. Um, and he keeps that stored in his head until he comes round. And it's obviously it's unusual for any driving game to sort of have a story. Um, certainly, you know this, this game. You know we've made it perfectly clear it's not a serious story. I think it's quite novel that it actually has a story at all, and I, I think it deserves more credit than criticism for at least att- attempting one. Hmm. Uh, it, it's not going to set the world alight. It's nothing you've never seen before in, in other genres done a million times better. What? That said, I, that I said, I've enjoyed seen, the story, man. 
I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because it didn't take itself seriously, like the rest of the game. And I, th- I think, you know, that that's certainly one of its selling points to me is that it actually tells a story from beginning to end with a story that, whilst it's crazy, it sort of makes sense and you discover it along the way. good time to get some listener correspondence from the forums james do you want to read the first one yeah absolutely uh delby2k says let's be frank about this the story is a big ridiculous vehicle designed to allow the player to jump between cars at a whim it's ultimately stupid but the way that developers embraced this is something i really appreciate about it it would have been really easy to simply set it up and then half-bake it but they jumped in with both feet understanding that if you're going to go mad go mad with style Using it as a device to create side missions, at least and at least interesting side missions at that, was welcome and even jumping into random vehicles and hearing the passengers freak out as you drove like a crazy person raised a smile every time. The world looked great, I thought, and the various different stunt missions and collectibles provided good reason to go and explore the world presented to you. Plus the collectibles were worth getting in regards to the movie chases, which were tremendous fun. I enjoyed the music, I enjoyed the aesthetic, and I liked the fact it was actually sunny and bright. Driving games live and die by the handling, however, and after some initial moments of confusion, I really got to grips with it. It is arcade-like. They are a bit like dodging cars, but you can still pull off slides and drifts and last-minute changes with, with ease after a few hours getting used to it. After a while, it just becomes tremendous fun, raising massive smiles and moments of joy within me as I picked what to do next. Few games have given me so much fun consistently as this did, and it added character to a genre that has always suffered from a linear path of pick race, do race, pick next race. I hope for a sequel in a different city, but fear it will never come. Hmm. I think he's certainly mirrored a lot of the comments that we've made throughout the show. I think one thing he did mention that we haven't is the collectibles. Um, They're sort of littered around the city as, Hmm. uh, as... just collectibles, much like you see the orbs in Crackdown, and you sort mm. of see them. They're often off sort of crazy jumps or down back alleys, so you know you have to get a, an amount of speed and hit the you know the iconic jumps off the San Francisco hills and collect them. And yeah. they'll sort of allow you to do uh, car chase missions, which are essentially cool things. Uh, no more than that, but it's just a little bit of fun for for the user. It's something else that the game offers. Um, yeah. He mentions that it's actually sunny and bright, and what I found was quite interesting with this game is that it gives it almost a 70s and uh, sort of mid-70s sort of filter, but all the cars and the time that it's actually hosted in is very much present day. So whilst you're using all these modern cars, 
it sort of still feels like you're never really too far away from the, the, the core influences of the game. And the same goes for the, the soundtrack, which, for the record, is absolutely stunning. Um, it features 60 licensed tracks and uh, an original score by Matt Cannon, who did the original uh, Driver themes from Driver 2 onwards, I believe. And he's obviously he's featured in many other video games. Uh, he's worked with Ubisoft Reflections before on like Stuntman and... Uh, he did, I think, the Heavenly Sword TV trailers and, and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, he certainly has his own unique sound. He's certainly a composer that I actually like to listen to uh, outside of of video games. And I think the, the soundtrack and and sort of that visual filter all add and and give a really sort of unique feeling to to, the, to this game. Speaking yeah, yeah. of that filter, I did... I mean, I've never been to San Francisco myself, but I did hear on a podcast near release that it kind of nails that... Um, like, there's a certain kind of light that you get in San Francisco at a certain time of day, mm-hmm. and apparently yeah. it was just... It nailed that exact moment throughout this game. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly the filter that yeah that, that you guys have just been talking about. It yeah. it really does look like... it's it's. Um, I don't know how to describe it because, in one sense, it is a bit of a sort of harsh sunlight, but there's that sort of that sort of smoky grain to it that really does capture a certain atmosphere. I think, and yeah, it, it definitely felt exactly as you guys said. Both felt like the San Francisco that you see in films and on TV, but it had that seventies uh, look to it. I think, from a technical aspect, it's what's most interesting is that the city itself. It's actually quite ugly. The, the design mm. on the buildings were intentionally scaled back to keep the frame rate up, and mm-hmm. you could never really look at it and say it's pretty. But the way it all comes together is actually quite immersive, and it has something about it that you know it feels it feels good to be there mm. without actually being this incredibly sort of stunning looking city that we've seen in the likes of you know Need for Speed, Most Wanted, and and Burnout games where. You know, it it's obviously it has a, a very high visual appeal. This is very much the opposite, but it's still friendly enough that it it feels not realistic, but it certainly feels like there's a sense of it actually being San Francisco. It reminds me of um, Midtown Madness Three on the Xbox, where the the actual buildings around you don't look particularly great, but what happens on the road is fluid. It's fun and it looks good. Uh, you know, the, the car models look good and, uh, you know, it nips around at a high speed. And I had never really got around to playing the multiplayer, which, um, people keep saying it, it reminds them of Midtown Madness 3. And I tried going onto it, uh, the, you know, recently, but there's just, it's like a ghost town now. And it's a shame because apparently that's quite good. It's certainly something that I will mention, at least in my roundup, because as I'm aware, no one else really played the multiplayer. Um, yeah, no. And. It's a shame because, in a way, I actually preferred the multiplayer to the single player, and I actually really enjoyed the single player. So, it's it's something that I'll leave to my individual roundup. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, Darren Foreman, do you want to read Scrussles? Sure. Scrussles says, "Driver San Francisco is one of the best driving games of this generation," which was actually pretty surprising. It kind of came out of nowhere, and is part of a series that didn't exactly have the best reputation at the time. The premise of the game is fairly ridiculous too. But as it turned out, that's one of the most fun and carefree racing games out there. As the absurd premise indicates, the game doesn't really take itself seriously at all, and it's all the better for it. Although the story itself wasn't exactly a grand example of video game narrative, 
It allowed for some pretty amusing Carter moments and a relatively interesting mystery to watch unfold. Although once the mystery did unfold, the explanation of how it did stretches the suspension of disbelief to near breaking point, but it didn't matter much in the long run. It was just another rather silly and unbelievable moment in what was a silly and unbelievable story as a whole. The voice work was really good though. It really did lend itself to the aforementioned Carter moments, and all the amusing things NPCs say when you walk into their cars. It gave the game and its world a lot of Carter. The gameplay itself is brilliant too. The warp mechanic made for a really frantic but also slick experience. It's a joy to be able to mess around with traffic so easily and quickly, and it allowed for some interesting and different playstyles. Doing things like jumping straight out into a car you see driving through the city that's trying to escape from the police and then jumping into an 18-wheeler up the road to block off the police so you can escape are so much fun in a very playful kind of way that you don't really see much in games nowadays. So many games take themselves so seriously now, but Driver San Francisco has so much of these dynamic moments that feel like you are given a big box of toys to go crazy with. That kind of feeling is exactly what an open-world driving game should be like. The fundamental driving is pretty good too. I've heard some people criticise it, saying that many of the cars are too soft and that everything is far too eager to go sideways, but I really like it. The drifty feel to the cars does take a little getting used to, but once you do, you'll be easily pulling off huge slides on every corner. It's like that for a reason too. It's not just slidey because it's an arcade-style driving game, but because it's trying to emulate all the classic car chase movies of the 70s and such like. I think it does a great job of that. It's not just the handling feel that tried to evoke those old films, but so many other aspects of the game too. Obviously there's the set in the game, but there's also the car list and the soundtrack as well. It's full of classic muscle cars made iconic by those movies, and the soundtrack is full of contemporary Motown music too, along with more modern tracks that do a great job of fitting in right beside them. I'm quite partial to Grounds for Divorce. There are even special challenges raking in some of the iconic scenes that inspired the game, along with an in-game video editor which features a retro film grain feature for added effect. And I'd also say that the... There's a little side story where you can go to 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean. Hmm. And I, should I spoil it here? Yeah, go on, because it's brilliant. Yeah, basically if you go to 88 miles in a DeLorean, where you need a decent uh, straight bit of road because it's not the fastest car in the world, you actually walk back to that bastard bit at the start of Driver 1 where you've got to do the license test all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so the game is basically a recurring nightmare simulator as well as this uh, homage to some of these uh, racing shoes. Anyway... Back to Scruzzle, it's a fantastic game, and one that I encourage anyone with even the slightest interest in it to try out. The playful nature of the game means it's a great game for anyone, not just fans of racing games, but it does a great job of pleasing these people as well. And you know it must be good when Yahtzee named it as one of his favourite games of the year, let alone being one of the few he actually likes. First of all, thanks for the excellent feedback, Scruzzle, because that is a fantastic mm. yeah. write-up. Yeah, absolutely. It really is, and I mean, it kind of agrees with me, which makes it even better. <laughs> I, I was just, this is probably a good time for me to, to get my negative Nancy out, out of the way, because... Oh, go um, on. Because <laughs> I think uh, you three guys obviously have, have a lot of glowing words for this, and we've had two uh, pieces of forum correspondence that are that are pretty much equally glowing. And If this game I, was a person, I would kiss it. <laughs> um, but for me, I think... I mean, I did enjoy the game, but I feel like I enjoyed it because everything kind of came together in a way that was more fun than not. But when I think of it as as a driving game with a story, I think if I think of the driving part, I didn't enjoy that as much as I'd hoped to. The story is, I mean, it is it's big and daft and silly. Um, 
together I think it kind of works as long as shifts in there to to kind of give you uh, an interesting way to engage with it but the the driving on its own um around a city I thought it it didn't quite work for me until mm. I really got the handle on the shift mechanic and made sure I was using that as much as possible um I I couldn't help compare it to Burnout Paradise and the the mm. driving just didn't feel quite as um as enjoyable as in in that game. No. Um and and the um I guess the difference is that in Burnout Paradise if I if I played through an event and and failed it for whatever reason, okay, they added the the restart mechanic, but I didn't have to get frustrated with anything. Um in Burnout Paradise because I got I failed the event and I was right at a, an intersection where I could just mm-hmm. pick and start another one and it wasn't a problem whereas in um, in Driver San Francisco there was a lot of stuff to do but it always felt like the city was quite sparse in terms of what I was going to do next if I failed a mission or something didn't quite go to plan um a couple I think I'm right in saying there's a couple of the I'm not sure it was main or side missions where you have to basically fend off cars that are that are chasing you mm-hmm. um and there was one of them in particular where i think you had to catch up with a tanker or something and yeah. cars were trying to stop you the ai was so aggressive incredibly aggressive like we're talking need for speeds um most wanted from uh from criterion levels of aggressive ai but just needlessly so like ruining uh, any enjoyment I had with that particular mission, um, and then the the final mission I know we'll get on to talking about at some point um, when you lose the shift ability and it's driving while cars are being thrown at you as a set piece. It's incredible, but as a a method for frustration when the I'll, the joy of this game for me was the shifting I'll and that's taken away from you. On this because that final mission, it's a bastard. I I lost in exactly yeah. the same place about nine times in a row. You yeah. know, it's it, it, mm-hmm. it actually turned out that it was right before the end of the mission. Something would mm-hmm. happen, and I would feel it. Yeah, yeah. And it, I can't it, remember I exactly think... what it was, but it just it it, yeah. it ruined the flow yeah, of the absolutely. game, which I was enjoying to that mm-hmm. point. You know, just an unnecessary yeah. dash of frustration and another wise fantastic experience for me. It throws mm-hmm. a seemingly random moment in into the sort of the affair of of getting through that level. It, ironically, it throws that sort of level of randomness that you do yourself throughout the game, and yeah. It does become because you can't really brace for it or prepare for it. It, 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 it something that was conceptually much smarter than it actually turned out to be. It mm. isn't a great last level. The, the run up to the end of the game, in particular, isn't that great. Uh, I think you know it, it's probably the most widely criticised part of the entire single player. I think it's yeah. certainly fair to have reservations about that part of the game. Mm. As for the, the the condition of the open city. Uh, that you were on about James um, I always felt that that offered you two parts in mm-hmm. one side it allowed you to sort of drive around freely point to point, race to race uh, which at times were quite large obviously the, the city itself features over 200 miles of yeah, road yeah it's, it's massive, absolutely um, massive and it allows you to do some crazy you know, power slides around corners and have fun as you drive to them or alternately you can just shift to a car right next to them so it allowed you to sort of cut all that out if you wish to cut it out mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. point it allowed you to sort of you know, uh, yeah. drive yeah. there and embrace the, the the crazy Hollywood handling all you liked. And yeah. uh, obviously, early in the game, it doesn't require that many submissions. 
to complete mm, before you yeah. do the Tanner missions, which is is always a nice thing because obviously I think later on you need to complete all the submissions to get to the to the Tanner missions, which obviously the Tanner missions are uh, are the actual the story, specific yeah. story yeah. related ones that that progress you onto the next part of the game. So I never felt like it was being overly ing- aggressive forcing me to do stuff that was repetitive it allowed me to go up sort of my own pace or if i was short of time you know fire up and and, and shift where i needed to get the event done exit out and next time i booted up it would give you, you know, the previously on tv introduction mm-hmm. um and i know some people who wanted to play it all in in a short period of time found it quite repetitive and 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 i think yeah. that's fair enough but I, I certainly thought that the game went at least somewhere to sort of battling that yeah, element. Yeah, it absolutely did. I think that that's maybe um, maybe the the best way I can put it is that um, it, I'll, I'll compare it to a different game in a in a second. But it felt like the driving wasn't fun enough for me to want to drive to the next mission, mm-hmm. so I would shift there. And the story wasn't quite interesting enough to me to make me want to get to the next Tanner mission. So I kind of ended up feeling like, well, I'm doing side missions that I don't really, I'm not getting a great deal out of. And then I'm getting to a story mission that isn't quite, it's not quite reaching the level I wanted it to reach. And that's it's just my particular expectation. But for some reason, the two, the two parts of this game, as much as shift kind of brought the whole together and made it fun. Um, the, the driving and the story didn't quite, either one of them keep me engaged whereas something like burnout paradise i just didn't care failed a mission fine where's the next one mm-hmm. and just kept on going through it and i just love driving around in that game i did not care about the fact that i might be driving this you know from point a to point b with that i've done before um and and doing the same missions over again yeah. um, the game i might compare it to is la noir in terms of the city in that that was a whole big city that was incredibly well created and I just had no incentive to drive around because I wasn't enjoying the driving as much. And that's a harsh comparison because Ellie Noir is magnitudes worse for me than, than Driver San Francisco is. But um, comparing it to Burnout Paradise, it's a harsh harsh comparison to make because Burnout Paradise is just absolutely my favourite driving game of all the time. The strange thing there is that although I do really enjoy Burnout Paradise, mm. um, there was one thing about that that really pissed me off after a very short time. Yeah. You've been wrecked. <laughs> yes. The yeah. replay, replay, replay. Every goddamn time, okay? And the thing is, like, as I said, I do like Burnout Paradise, mm. but the kind of configurations of traffic was maniacal for me, you know? Like, I did yeah. get annoyed quite a lot in Burnout Paradise when mm. I'd be racing like a bastard, just, like, completely in the zone, and then a, a, a mini or something would just come out straight in front of me. You know, yeah. Blind, yeah. blind turn or, like, the crest of hell. No way of avoiding it and just smashing clean and it destroying the entire flow of that uh, race, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see where they're coming from because Burnout does actually have a better sense of speed. Um, the yeah, tur- the yeah. turbo boost is like, you know, like really balls to the metal kind of job. Yeah. But um, it, just the randomness element that Burnout did kind of kick it in the teeth for yeah. me a bit. I think it's kind of intentional because uh, Driver San Francisco does go for a more weighty feel to the cars. Mm-hmm. And they do feel like, especially obviously the muscle cars, but they do feel like they have that, that sort of weight to them. Although you're sliding around with them, um, they're not supposed to feel as fast as, as Burnout, I don't think. I don't think Burnout's meant to be even like based on reality. You know, It's just oh, crazy no, no, shit. No, it's absolutely not. Yeah, no. I think the comparisons that you drew there are actually quite fair, but in Burn, uh, Driver San Francisco tries to be neither it, it's yeah, yeah, neither absolutely. Alain Noir yeah. nor, nor Burnout and I, and I think in terms of, of a game 
that that sort of does blur the lines <laughs> between between either this one is probably the best. Christ, can you imagine Tar getting out of his car and doing the conversation thing from Ellen Noir? <laughs> oh God, Jesus! Christ. At least he'd have been a likable main character. He would have been. Well, yeah, I suppose. And I think one thing I do want to to bring about before we move on to the next bit of correspondence is mm. that every car in Driver San Francisco features a cockpit view. Now. I'm I'm a fan. I drive all my driving games on cockpit view if it's in there, and and, and it's nice to see. And it, you know, it sort of adds to the immersion of it all. But the best touch this game has is that it has full handbrake and gear animations. Hmm. So when you when you're driving the likes of a Dodge Challenger um, and and thrashing it around corners, you clearly see Tanner's hands sort of thrashing around the wheel as he tries to capture it, and he's he's putting it into a lower gear and pulling his handbrake. Um, and that is very, very slick in this game. It's absolutely mm. outstanding, and it's just one of those sort of moments where you just smile like a loon as you've just done something crazy. And uh, yeah, I, I wish more games would do it. Um, mm. We've come a long way since you know where we just see the hands not moving on a wheel, and and you know now we get games that still don't have an interior cockpit view. I know Grid Two comes out this week that has no interior cockpit view, which is very disappointing. So to mm. see something like Driver San Francisco offer it for 140 different cars, each animated yeah. for gears, whether the paddle gears or, or full gearbox, um, was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, especially when it's not a simulation game here. Yeah, it is kind of crazy, and especially because arseholes like me will never look at that. Mm-hmm. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm like you, Darren. It's, um, it's behind the car view for me yeah, wherever exactly. I can, yeah. I mean, like, Roger Racer is different, you know, because, like, the, that's on rails, you know, like the drafting mechanic. It's, like, very mm. easy for me to predict that, even though I'm not a racing game player. But uh, a lot of other ones, when you're inside the cockpit, I just can never kind of get the dynamics right, you know? Like, I'll try and do a draft and smash side on it uh, in the corner, you know? Mm. But uh, it's good that they put it in. I mean, like, obviously, Carl's a fan of that kind of thing. It's just yeah. It uh, just shows they were paying attention to to what people might want from the game. Totally. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they certainly went in with the mentality that they were going to at least try and offer a little bit of something for everyone. Um, yeah, yeah, certainly definitely. that's something that you know resonated with me. Uh, Darren Gaget, do you want to read the next piece of correspondence? Mm, certainly. <clears throat> this is from the Sniper Gecko. He says, "Where do I start? I managed to avoid most previews and chatter around the re- release of this. I wanted to just." I wanted to just jump and play where Driver left off. Boy, was I wrong for doing that. I guess it's too much to ask for a game developer to make improvements on a game. I feel like this should have been named Driver 0.5. Yes, 0.5 as in less than 1. See what he did there? <laughs> oh, the story was absolutely ridiculous. Wait, what's this? I can fly around the city in my mind and take over any vehicle I want to. Uh, side note, that sounds amazing. Uh, yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> were they too lazy to put in a third-person car- character animation to actually get in and out of cars? The PC version is riddled with bugs, failing to launch with no errors, crashing to desktop with no errors, losing save files, and the frame rate being locked to 24 frames per second when playing over an HDMI cable. The story was completed after trash. My seven-year-old nephew has more imagination than the writers of, the- of this game. I would say the only positive point to this game would be the driving mechanics. Whilst it isn't perfect, it is still enjoyable to drive around the city. The side missions in the game are fun. The cops and robbers themes always is. I do regret buying this game on release and paying full price for it. <clears throat> it should be a bargain bin price purchase. Fun for the side missions without the main story and out of body experience. Crap. So a big fan of the game. <laughs> Huge. He's clearly, clearly a fan. Martin Edmondson said in an interview that it was uh, intentional that they didn't want to 
yeah. to sort of add that third person walk car to car because so many other games have done it and they wanted something that they had in their game to be unique to it so obviously the shift mm. mechanic worked perfectly for that and and he has a point because the driver games have done third person and it was didn't driver 3 have like third person and it was just garbage yeah mm. driver 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 3 was was very buggy um mm. and it they've, they've done that before obviously i've mentioned the likes of grand theft auto and saints row they all do outside of vehicles so the, this game wouldn't really gain anything from sort of doing that as well. Um, I'm obviously, I don't don't agree with the majority of things that, that the sniper gecko said there. It's he clearly feels very different about me. I know that some of his negativity is quite clearly aimed at the PC release, which we know was was quite a horror show. Um, yeah, he definitely had it worse than I did. Definitely, there's no diminishing that. From what I mean, what he says, the problems he experienced with the game, absolutely unforgivable. That's not a sellable game, and we've had games released with those sort of problems nowadays. And and people talk about you know legal action being taken against companies because they're releasing unplayable games, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unforgivable completely. Um, I think the thing. Uh, the thing with the shift mechanic is, you know, you could have had a third-person mechanic and you could have jumped out of a car if you crashed and jumped into another one. But when you do that in Grand Theft Auto, it's out of necessity um, because you've screwed up and you want to rectify it. Whereas with the shift mechanic, um, you can use it to rectify a mistake. As uh, Darren, you said earlier, you know, when you crash into a wall, just shift forward and let the AI sort that car out. But more importantly... When you actually do, and it took me uh, more longer than it should to actually realise, you get to missions in the game where you think, well, I can't do this. I can't win this race. And then you realise, hang on, I can just frog hop my way to mm-hmm. to a car at the front and take it out and, you know, whatever. You start to realise that it's actually about being creative and you can't do that with third person, um, you know, getting out of the car, controlling an actual individual uh, character because the whole point is to be able to, to jump absolutely you know lightning quick from one car to the next take over and carry on and if you hop out of the car that immediately slows everything down you know as far as i'm concerned when you do that in a game it's because you've as i said you've screwed up yeah i mean on top of that you know like there would be this real storyline dissonance if uh, you could get out of the car because it's not tunnel that's in the car you know you'd be like taking over the body of an old man and then he would be running out the thing and take like jumping at my tanker you know yeah. Um, like yeah, everybody absolutely. would be like, "What the fuck's going on here? You know, why is this guy taking over my car?" <laughs> yeah. One of the best elements that that shift sort of avoids is something we've all experienced. I'm sure playing the, these other games where you hop out of a car because you see another car that's quicker or better, and you want that car. And the second that you approach it, it pulls off a junction, and you're running down the road yeah. after it, but you're never going to catch it. <laughs> and you end and up then, taking the pushback behind the yeah, to absolutely. the one you were in. Yeah, yeah so. and you hope that it'll hit a red light, and then it hits a red light, and it turns green just as you arrive. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I'm wondering if, if the shift mechanic was like a chicken and the egg situation. Did they want to make an open world driving game and think? Well, do we want to spend the money on making animations of running around the city? No. Yeah. So how do we get around that? Do we then put Tanner in a coma? It's hard to say because, you know, we weren't on the dev team, but I'd like to know what came first. The other thing is, I mean, like, if they did the animation for getting out the car, people would expect animations for interacting with the the environment, you know, like the citizens mm. walking around, you know? Um, like, you open just that small, t- tiny window into this, and then people will expect the whole thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, if you get out of that car immediately you're absolutely right Darren you think 
what else can I do? I'm going to go up to this pedestrian. I'm going to, you know, let's face it, pay to sleep with a prostitute because that's Grand Theft Auto. I'm going to try and go into this building. And the fact is, literally all you would be able to do is walk out of one car, walk up to the next, and then what happens? Do you just open the door and climb in? Do they have you remove the driver that's in there? Um, If it was a decision based on, on limitations and not wanting to... Uh, to animate or and create that whole part of the game, then that's got to have been an early doors decision where they said, do we do this? Because that's what people expect from a driver game. And as soon as they said no, they then thought, right, great, mm. draw a line under it. We're not even creating a game that remotely wants to have that. So how do we get from one car to the next? And you can quite easily see how do you get from one car to the next? What you do is you shift. You just point at a car and say I want to drive that car and as soon as you bring that into the game it changes it completely and that seems fun to me and I think they realised that, I don't want to put words in their mouth but they realised that and they went with it, whether the story came first whether, you know, as you said Darren chicken and egg, it frankly doesn't matter because it had to be such an early decision that it wasn't something Mm. they decided to chop out of a game because they either couldn't do it or it didn't work it was something they decided early on that wasn't a fit for their game, and good on them. Snaky Dave said, I loved that Driver San Francisco was a game about driving. Tautological point, though, that may be. Most games where you get into a car are usually clinical simulations or arcade races that never compare to my memories of Burnout 3. So it was nice to hop into a car game that felt unique. Racing's great, but sometimes I just wanted to pootle about. It's why I love GTA, why I should have enjoyed Test Drive, and it's why I like this. I feel very well disposed towards this game, as it's such a pleasant surprise. The central mechanic was odd, the narrative that justifies it odder. But it was really fun and got the tone so right I went with it. The central mechanic is a gimmick, but it's a good one, and the relatively brief story means that the gameplay didn't tire for me. There are car games with more rewarding handling models, and many games with better stories and deeper gameplay, but there aren't many with Driver San Francisco's easy charm. I doubt I'll ever replay it. I'll be talking about it in years to come, but I'm glad, certainly glad I played it at the time and will remember it fondly. James, do you want to read Simon? Yeah, Monkeys? absolutely. Simonkey says, I picked this up late, late last year in one of the many Steam sales and needed little encouragement to spend the whole £5 for what was reportedly a great game. Initial imp- impressions were actually reasonably good despite the required use of Uplay and some issues configuring controls. 360 pad is fine, I'm just fussy. And uh, I got to work having a little drive. The handling model was good fun, if perhaps a little loose, but made drive, driving Tanner's car all the more rewarding when you nailed it just right. Sadly, there wasn't enough of driving his car, and more time was spent on the amusing at first, but ultimately cheap gameplay gimmick of switching cars. Whilst there was a plethora of side missions, I rarely felt compelled to compete them to complete them, as the rewards were rather piffling at best, besides the obvious story progression element. In fact, that is one of my least favourite ways to progress stories and is essentially just padding out a game that is as shallow as it appears to be on the surface. The main story was really quite lacking, although I did have some of it spoiled for me. The TV-style presentation with previously on segments work very well if you spend your time doing side missions and unlocking cars, but played through as quickly as possible? Not so much. Incredibly repetitive and wholly unnecessary, I feel. As for the gameplay itself, I I felt it went far away from what I was expecting, skillful driving during chases, and resorted to rapidly switching cars to crash into the targets as much as possible. The real skill was finding the correct types of vehicle quickly enough to stop the intended targets escaping. I was hoping for more of the first game's opening, the car park driving test, pure bliss, and ultimately got a cheap crashing game. 
The missions themselves slowly become more and more ridiculous, culminating in the chase, chase sequence with Jericho flinging cars at you. Surviving this mission, I found, was down to luck more than skill, and I had to endure many, many restarts of the mission due to him escaping after I got stuck behind cars or very unexpectedly destroyed. The final mission was even worse, with multiple vehicles being controlled by Jericho merely attempting to slam into you at any cost. It was simply infuriating, and instead of making the chase more technical, they just went too far with making it downright unfair. This was also a problem for the, with the first driver as well. That final mission was absurd, so I'm not totally surprised by this kind of finale. The mechanic also made learning the, the city and its various routes and shortcuts ultimately pointless, since if you got lost you could just jump to another car and continue the chase, which simply further removed the skill required to play. By the time I had a feel for the game, I just wanted to get through the story as fast as possible and be done with the game, which is never a good feeling. I'm happy with the fiver I spent on it, but any more, and I wouldn't have been. It's certainly not a game I'd be telling everyone to try, sadly. Yeah, I mean, like, basically, what we've seen from this correspondence is that the minute that someone basically wants a straight driving game and finds the shift mechanic stupid, the entire game falls apart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think that's, that's yeah, fair. And the, the, the developers got to kind of expect that, you know, Ultimately, if someone comes into your game expecting one thing and gets another, chances are they're not necessarily going to be happy. That's the thing. I mean, there are so many other driving games out there that are just catered for that experience, you know? Yeah. This is yeah. the only one that I'm aware of with the shift mechanic uh, list throughout the gameplay. So I can see why people would yeah. find it an odd one out and not enjoy it. But I am so glad that this game exists, that it tried something different and gave me a good time. I think there's also something to uh, an expectation from the game. There are people um, I know who've since got it afterwards. Like I know, I know Simon Monkey mentioned there that he'd heard it was a, a good driving game and, and so forth. And I think a lot of my positivity towards it came from the fact that I bought it cheap. I got it twenty pounds. I wasn't expecting. I thought the shift mechanic sounded like the dumbest thing ever. Um, from all the press conferences, I had no intention of buying that game until I saw it at half price. And of course, there's obviously the disparity in the price that console gamers pay to PC gamers. I paid £20 and thought it was a bargain. There are others that paid £20 brand new and thought it was expensive on the PC. Um, and I, th- I think perhaps those that went into it either not knowing what it was all about or not hearing anything or the, the very little discussion that surrounded the game, because, you know, why would there be? Um, there were obviously bigger games released at the time, like Dead Island. Um, yeah, and on the very same day, Dead Island and it, um, exactly, and that had so much media hoopla. This almost sort of you know escaped out the back, and, and no one really cared about it. And I think going into it, and this is something that was mentioned on the the first Uncharted show with the team on it that you know going into that game with little expectations, not knowing what was going on, perhaps added to the experience and I, I think certainly that's the case with Driver San Francisco if I went in and paid £40 and I was expecting this incredible experience I'm almost certain I wouldn't have had the same feelings about the game I think mean, the fact that I, I got it so cheap and and everything was new to me it was you know I, I was smiling I was laughing um, I was playing with friends that whole experience left me on a far more positive note than it than it would have been otherwise because we've all paid big money for a game we've anticipated and, and thought it was terrible Okay, so we'll get on to our three-word reviews uh, taken from Twitter. Uh, first up, Darren Foreman. Simon Key says, repetitive gimmicky mechanic. The Sniper Gecko says, first was better. Um, Furious, 
I always say Furious. Apologies to you if it's Furious E3, but I'm sure that three. I'm sure it's Furious. Yeah, that's Furious. What I We're said. going with Furious. Um, oh, is this a cheat? Would, would Leon nix this? Yeah, I've already it's, told him off for this. Furious says worth a tanner, but but before that in parentheses is well, so well worth a tanner. Cheater. Was, yeah, arguably back mm. to his punning best with that one. Yes, yeah, that's true. Uh, Weefs said, "Drivey, ghosty fun." <laughs> Deadwood's forty-two says, "Not much fun." Uh, but Motor Falcone says, "Comas are fun." I think we should set them against each other and just hand each one a knife. It's a three-way <laughs> fight over use of the word fun. I think. PG Tip seventy-seven says, "Surprisingly fantastic." Oh. Hey, hey, new high, a new standard set. Furious, got to come back with better. He's got bad taste in tea bags, but a great taste in puns. <laughs> uh, Leg of Time says, Life on Mars. Yeah, yeah, reference to obviously the TV show rather than the Bowie song. Or the chocolate Which bar. also had the David Bowie song playing at the start of it. I've seen it, I know my shit. <laughs> I think that's a, that's an apt uh, comparison, obviously, with the... Not much well, so. th- this isn't time travel so much, but it's definitely... It's got a period feel to it, and it's got that sort of slightly sci-fi bent, but you wouldn't know it from looking at it. It's not obvious. And it's got a man in a coma. Uh, so we'll wrap up with our own summaries for the show. We'll start with Darren Gaggett. Yeah, so Driver San Francisco took me by surprise. Um, I'd heard quite a bit about it in terms of how wacky it is and just how much fun it is to drive around so yeah like i said i picked it up for five four five pounds in a steam sale and was pleasantly surprised by the seven or eight hours that it gave me uh i don't think the game looks particularly great uh i don't think it handles that well and i think the story's pretty cheesy um you know which is which is sometimes good and sometimes pretty pretty poor but um the shift mechanic just ties it all together and the fact and it's the get out of jail free coma situation that just sort of makes you think that's ah, all right. You know, I can, I can, you know, I can get to grips with the fact that, you know, that some of the cars aren't entirely different feeling to the other one. Like it just sort of, uh, you know, the, the coma headache thing is just more of, um, a get out of jail free and it just gets, it gets a pass from me. Uh, I did find some of the missions quite frustrating near the end, which I've, you know, people have said before. Um, but you know, this it's, it's, it's the same with most games nowadays. You know, the, the end game is always pretty naff and, just sort of, just to grin and bear it, and the fact that I could have a, some sort of like headache coma war with this guy was was something I'd never seen before. So you, again, you sort of give it a pass because it's doing things that I'd never really seen before. Uh, it's a shame I couldn't get to grips with the multiplayer, and by by to grips, I mean couldn't get on it at all because there was there was no one around. It was just a few tumbleweeds and myself. So yeah, it's um it's well worth picking up, um, which is probably even cheaper than five pounds now on steam uh, during the summer or winter periods and yeah just just don't take it too seriously james uh yeah yeah i mean i i raised the points i wanted to raise earlier i would say that i went into this expecting a uh a driving game with a story and that's what i got the the slightly unfortunate thing for me was that as a driving game it wasn't quite as successful as i hoped it'd be just didn't quite have that that feeling um i'm no driving game expert though so i'll defer to someone like carl who who's got more experience and uh, and more knowledge of these things but um and the story side of things i think 
if we're going to say it's a good story, I know uh, Darren Darren Foreman will disagree with me, but um, I'd I'd say it's a good story for a driving game. It's that it's always that wee caveat that you stick on the end. It's it, for a driving game, absolutely a good story. Um, if it was being told in a more um, narrative centric game. Uh, or a more usual narrative uh, game with a narrative form, then I, I think there would be problems with the the story. But as a game built around a shift mechanic, which is for me what it was, that shift mechanic's great. And when I didn't feel I could use it to to get over some of the the niggles I had with the driving, particularly in those missions at the end where shifts taken away from you, um, the, the driving wasn't quite fun enough for me to to stick with but the shift mechanic absolutely was and that's what made this game um and i think it's it's worthy of just picking up giving a go having a look at but go into it expecting something that's um that's trying to be a parody on films that you will know and possibly uh be quite fond of yourself and in that respect yeah it's a good fun game and i'm i'm really interested to to see uh, the driving in Watchdogs, because much like um, Sleeping Dogs, ironically, um, that had driving that was sort of plugged into the game uh, with with driving systems sort of built in by by another company, and, and it worked really great. And I can imagine Driver San Francisco taking that driving and putting it into Watchdogs, especially given that something like a shift mechanic might actually not directly like that, but having experience with that will definitely help when it comes to, to something like Watchdogs where you're trying to do multiple things at once. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing that. Darren Foreman, how about you give a wrap-up a go? Well, as I said, for me, I never really had much kind of like uh, presuppositions about this game. Um, I've never really been into that many driving games unless they're crazy, and fortunately this game is crazy. Like, pretty much from the minute that I saw this fairly, like, this really well-done intro, and... Uh, Getting, basically Tanner getting blindsided by an 18-wheeler, ended up in a coma, unleashing powerful latent psychic abilities that would help him like track down his archenemy, and basically ruin every bastard in the city's life. You know, I knew that I would have a good time with this. You know, like, I enjoyed watching Tanner try to convince his partner that he's not a screaming lunatic that can magically transfer his soul between moving vehicles. And it's just something so fresh and new. I really, really enjoyed it. And I've actually got to say that uh, James, he's right. This is a good story for a driving game. Outside the outside the fact that it's a driving game, it probably wouldn't have worked. But the fact that my expectations were so low in the first place, it completely surpassed them. I ended up having a great time just seeing how the story unfolded. You know, just driving in, a different, uh, diving into another vehicle, crashing head on Lorry for no reason, and then Tanner just chuckling away and saying, ah, I've just wrecked somebody's day with that one. Looks like <laughs> he'll be getting a new job. Just the general vibe of it gave me a mm. damn good time. And the gameplay itself, entirely, entirely fine, you know. Shift mechanic was great. The racing was it was at least competent, bordering on pretty decent. And as I said, my expectations for any driving game are low for a start. And usually they, like a driving game will pretty much surpass, surpass those expectations entirely the wrong way. Because it bores me shitless, like having to worry about like your, your torque and braking and all that kind of crap. This one dispenses with all the stuff that I don't like in driving games and just focused on making it fun. And it went its own path, you know. It didn't bother trying to like emulate other racing games. It brought something fresh to the table. And that alone is worth uh, 
It's worth giving this game a look at. And the fact that they executed it so damn well. If you haven't played this game, even if you're not a racing fan, I would really recommend checking it out. It's not perfect the whole way through. A lot of the side missions and some of the filler do drag the game down just that slight, uh, slight amount. And the last boss mission, where I like the last uh, coma mission where you're chasing Jericho in a truck as he's trying to blow you off the road by chucking cars at you, it's dropped on you with no warning and it's too hard. Hmm. You know, like if you had no time to adapt to this new mechanic. But for all its minor faults and occasional like difficulty, uh, just like the difficulty spikes, I, I can't really fault this game, especially at the price you'd be able to buy it now at. Check it out. It's got a lot of new things in it, a lot of interesting things. Great soundtrack, plays well. I recommend this game. I really do. I think Darren hit, or at least Darren Foreman hit the hit nail on the head with the when he said it was fresh. Um, it, it certainly, it felt like Ubisoft Reflections sort of threw a lot at this game. Some of it stuck, some of it never. Um, but they they put so much into it that when it does work, it does feel original. There's all the way from the the core of the game, you've obviously got the story, the submissions, the the, the free roaming. You've got multiplayer tacked in there. There's the split screen multiplayer. There's there's a full online social network. You can upload video clips and edit them. Um, it, it, it even threw back to the old classic garage. So they went in there with the intention of offering stuff up for the, the you know the classic fans of the game, those who are, are loved it originally. Um, they obviously the the intent was to go back sort of back towards the original and try and replicate what made that great. Um, and it, for me, it, it worked. For me, I actually think it's a better game than the first game. It, it certainly offers more. The story itself, it's not going to win any awards. But at the same point, because it's so off-centre, it never becomes predictable. Because when you're at the start of the game, you never see the end of the game playing out story-wise like it does. And and I know Darren mentioned that you know you end up having this almost mental duel with with Jericho, and it's it's completely true, and it's it's quite interesting the way it all comes about. The, the sequences perhaps don't play as well as they should. Uh, I don't I don't think they're truly horrendous, um, but they're the, the certainly pale in comparison to the rest of the game. What did, however, stand out for me, and and we've not mentioned it on the show sadly because because I think there's only myself who's put any decent amount of time into it was the multiplayer. It's brilliant. The multiplayer in this game was brilliant because, as, as Darren Gargett mentioned, it's an absolute ghost town online now unless you can actually organise a session with friends and get it playing because some of the stuff it did worked so well. I mean, the, the, there's several modes. There's Trailblazer mode, which you follow around a DeLorean with fire coming off its wheels, which you know is obviously a great reference immediately to Back to the Future anyway, except you're battling with eight well, seven other players to try and get into that, you know, the the fire stream, and you earn points when you're in there, and everyone else is trying to knock you out, and then people are trying to hit you with bigger trucks because they're more likely to not be moved themselves, and you you've got that whole battle as the DeLoreans taking you know random turns left and right, and then you've got uh, the the checkpoint races where it becomes competitive like standard online mode, so it, it offers that sort of gameplay for other people. Uh, it offers uh, capture the flag, which which worked incredibly well because 
you work as a team so you've got like three bumpers and a guy carrying the flag and and your bumpers are are switched between sort of sticking with you to try and protect you to you know getting these bigger vehicles you know on the gamble that they're certainly not going to get past them and i think the standout mode was tag and it's not unusual i believe midtown madness had tag and and we've had cat and mouse and and so forth in in uh, the project gotham games but what made this so good and we've mentioned it so many times on this show was that mechanic simply shifting into another car added and it's so strange an element of fear because if you're it Every single car that is on that road can suddenly become your opponent trying to tag you. So you're trying to stay away from the ones that are clearly chasing you and you're trying to stay away from cars in oncoming traffic and you're trying to stay away from cars that are perhaps near you and could swing across and tag you. And the level of tension that is created in that is absolutely fantastic. And playing that with friends and, you know, you're giving yourself friendly insults, uh, it was just an absolute highlight experience of everything that they focused around one mechanic condensed into a beautiful online multiplayer mode and it's for me one of the best parts about any racing game not just this and the fact that the multiplayer has since died and moved on because it was never going to be a major release is a bit of a shame and it's something that I would really recommend people get in a group and do it every so often and it it went further than that it had a full split screen multiplayer mode where you could play all those modes and split screen it had specific co-op modes for split screen so you you could argue ubisoft reflections went above and beyond um what was certainly what was expected but you know what was sort of demanded and and it's great to see a studio that haven't had a good decade uh, by any stretch of the imagination and and for me I was never a fan of uh, the Destruction Derby game so for me it goes even further because Reflections are an important studio in that they developed Shadow of the Beast and Shadow of the Beast was the game I saw as a five year old I saw my uncle and my father playing it and seeing them playing it and the enjoyment they got made me set on the path of becoming or at least training in 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 training in art and video games and wanting to get involved in some regard into that industry and you think you know I'm 29 years old now and I saw that at the age of five and that's thanks to a game that was created by this studio so to see you know something that resonated so positively with me that I really wasn't expecting anything from sort of brings back pangs uh, pangs of memories and positive thoughts from from back then and I I think. It, it's certainly a game that's flown under the radar. You know, we've mentioned how cheap it is. Um, Darren said it would be less than five quid on PC. It was two months ago. It was in the PlayStation Three sale for four pound and change, and at that price, it is an absolute steal. So if you can get your hands on it, you, you've got a game that is so full of content. Um, it, it's not even funny, and it, it is an absolute bargain game that I would really recommend anybody, even fans of racing games such as myself have got more, much out of it but if you fancy a game that is a little bit different for that price, you really can't go wrong So you can play along with Kane and Rince, uh, the volume 2 shows are currently up on the website they are as follows, we'll read these out in order uh, Darren Foreman, do you want to read out the first shows? Absolutely Castlevania Symphony of the Night Uncharted <laughs> 3, Drake's Deception Fez and the 
Critical Darlin, one of the best games in years. Aliens Colonial Marines. Game of the year. Absolutely. Just Which year was that? <laughs> yeah, I hope you don't go into that uh, show feeling like a grump, because I will have so many glowing things to say about it. <laughs> so after the uh, the excellent Aliens Colonial Marines, we'll have a Dishonored Minecraft, hosted by myself and a special guest, Richard Underwood, aka Mr. Ting, uh, Tomb Raider of this year, 2013, and El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron. Which sounds like a Transformers film. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after that, we will have DMC Devil May Cry, followed by Deadly Premonition. And then, as usual, pick any two from four, Star Wings, Star Fox, Lilac Wars, and Star Fox 64. Uh, then, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, which I'll be hosting. Rounding off the Volume 2 shows, we have Fahrenheit, or, if you're American, Indigo Prophecy, Super Meat Boy, L.A. Noir, Psychonauts, and then Show 100, Heavy Rain. Remember to take a look at our Quick Rinse videos via the blog or the Kane and Rinse YouTube channel. You can find Kane and Rinse on Twitter, at Kane and Rinse. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kane and Rinse. You can support us by subscribing, reviewing and or rating us on iTunes. These are always greatly appreciated. Five star reviews are always nice, but just be honest. But only be honest if it's five stars or above. Yeah, don't bring your negativity here. <laughs> As mentioned on last week's show, we now have a store featuring some Kane and Rinse shirts, bags and jumpers at a reasonable price. We don't make a huge amount of money from this. It's certainly less than £2 a t-shirt and all this goes towards the running of the site and not into our pockets. You can find this at caneandrinse.spreadshirt.com. Check out the Kane and Rinse periodicals. You can also check out our Minecraft and DayZ servers. We also have a Battlefield 3 server up on the PlayStation 3 at the moment. You can find the details on the forum. We have just released a pre-E3 conversational on the Xbox One. Uh, This features some thoughts from some members of the community uh, for the Xbox reveal event. We already have one up for the PlayStation 4 if you're interested. If you'd like to perhaps join us on another conversational in the future, then keep your eyes open on our forums. You can join the Kane and Rinse community and have your say at our forums. That's at kaneandrinse.com forward slash forum. All of this and more can be found on the interwebs at kaneandrinse.com. Last but certainly not least, a big thank you to Darren, no Darren no and James for not just being excellent as always, but for getting me through my first hosting on the Kane and Rinse podcast. Thank you. And you did a fantastic job as well. Yeah, bravo. Did all right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys. See you next week, folks. Take care, humans. See you later.